Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. I'm so glad you're tuning in today for this episode, CEO Your Life. This is a live recording from a recent event where Brian teaches how to create a vision, make decisions, keep hope alive, influence others, and facilitate transformation, all through the lens of Andy Dufresne from the movie The Shawshank Redemption. You may want to watch the movie after hearing the episode to catch all the little details. At the end of the episode, you'll learn how to get a bonus session from that event that builds on this content. Let's dive in. The theme for this event is redeeming your life. Redeeming. The word redeem, according to Mr. Webster, is to buy back. To buy back. Something is bought back. Now, the word redemption or redeem has a very spiritual connotation, and rightfully so. So to buy something back. I'll walk you through the dynamic of, as I'm CEOing my life right now, the phase of life that I'm in, the number one thing I'm buying back, I used to buy back real estate. You follow me? Buy back stocks. Try to buy back my waistline. <laughs> right now, the major purchase I'm making in my life is I'm buying back my time. Does that make sense? So redemption. You give up something to get something. You have given up something. You've given up quite a few days in your life to be here. We're going to redeem the time, make it worth your while. It's the action of regaining possession of something in exchange for payment. In the spiritual context, deliverance from sin, something we're going to talk about here for three days, deliverance from captivity. We're going to find out together what's holding us captive. How many of you watched the Shawshank Redemption in preparation? Good. I hope so. Just so you know, I got good news and bad news. You'll never see that movie again the same way after this. There's five main characters in the movie, and what I want to show you is that we all have a little bit of each one. And we all want to find out what little part of us is in Shawshank. Maybe we have some habits that are our Shawshank. Maybe we have some patterns. You're going to hear about patterns throughout the next three days that have us in Shawshank. You want to do this, but you go back to this. You want to change here, but you go back to that. You want to not say this, but you keep saying that. Does anybody know somebody like this? <laughs> so what we're organizing here for three days is we're organizing a prison break. And we're going to lay out a blueprint to tunnel out, get out into the rain, and find our own version of Zewantaneo. Does that make sense? Now, there might be a few crappy pipes we have to go through along the way. <laughs> we're going on a journey. Five main characters in the movie. We got Andy Dufresne. You're going to see Andy Dufresne in a light you never did before. You're going to see him as our main character as a leader. How many of you have a team or lead people? Could I see your hands? You lead clients, you lead customers, you're the leader. If you weren't a leader, you wouldn't be in this room. And you're going to find out the leadership style of Andy Dufresne and how powerful it is. And we're going to make that come alive. And because of a movie, movies are pictures worth a thousand words. It can be anchored in our minds so it can leave with you after you leave out of here. We're going to see Red. Red is the character. He's actually in the original novels. He's a redhead, white-skinned Irishman. But Morgan Freeman. Red is the classic example of the person who's been impacted by the leader. And that's what we all have a chance to do. We have a chance to be Andy Dufresne, and we have a chance to be Red. We also need, in order to be Andy Dufresne, we also need to be a little Red. We need to make sure that we are also good followers. Show me someone who's not a good follower, I'll show you someone who's a lousy leader. Does that make sense? Next, there's the warden. The warden. The warden represents not just control, but controlling. 
controlling. Sometimes there's habits that are controlling. Sometimes there's relationships that are controlling. Sometimes we're the ones doing the controlling. We're going to work through that. Next, we got Brooks. Brooks, the sweetheart of a guy who got so set in his ways that when he was given freedom, he couldn't handle it. Brooks represents homeostasis. Homeostasis is that part of our brain that does not want us to change no matter what. No matter how many seminars we go to, no matter how much coaching we get into, no matter what we do, we keep like a homing pigeon, keep coming back. And that's what Brooks represents. We all have a little Brooks in us. Is that true? In fact, here's the thing. The good news is it never leaves you. It's just as you do these other things, you find that you're, you're like a homing pigeon, but you're going to fly. Does that make sense? And then you have uh, old Byron Hatley. And Byron Hatley, he, you know, he's such a, a, a kind of a terrible character in the movie, and he's a violent man. But in the books, and I, I've had a chance to read the original novella by Stephen King, written in 1982. And in the books, he's described, I mean, he killed prisoners, he did terrible things. That's not what the prisoners hated about him. The overall thing they hated about Byron Hadley was his complete negativity. The glass wasn't even half full. The glass was broken and empty. And it was that constant negativity. That's what really drug the men down about that guy. And we're going to see even a scene with him in the movie where even when he gets good news about getting a cash windfall, it's a bad deal because he's got to pay taxes. Okay, so here's what that represents. Each one of these characters is us, and each one of these characters is somebody we know. Are you guys with me, yes or no? Here's how it works. You first go to work on you, and you get yourself into the best place possible, and then with positivity and force of enthusiasm, you represent yourself to the marketplace and take whoever with you that's game. Andy Dufresne was the same to every single prisoner in Shawshank. Only one guy followed him out. Does that make sense? You can't control who's going to follow you out. I've seen three million people. Seen three million people face to face all over the world. Not everybody follows you through the pipe. Does that make sense? You guys are. That's why we're going to make this worth your while. We're going to love on you. We're going to squeeze you. We're going to connect you with one another. So let's talk about it. And I take responsibility for my own success, failures, and everything in between. It's not about the government. It's not about who's in the office. It's not what social media posts just came across my bleeding phone that I'm way too preoccupied with. And I get a little message once a week that tells me how much screen time I'm devoting to everything other than my good life. Every week. I don't care who's in office, in any office. I don't care what they say. We live in a strange time. A gal in New York City got 15,000 votes. She has more power and influence than a woman who got 63 million votes. That's the world we live in today. Except that's what it pulls you around by the nose. The media, the stuff that's on your phone, they get paid to lead you around by the nose. And many people are in the prison of their own mind right now. Many people are in these prisons of anxiety and stress and worry and anger and fear. And we're going to have a prison break here. And if we have a prison break and people see that you're free, let me tell you, you'll be surprised. It's always surprising to me, the people in my immediate connection and relationships and even with my customers over the past 23 it's always surprised me who are the ones i oh this person here this one's definitely going to get it this one's going to do it and two doors over it was somebody else you follow me andy dug a hole but not everybody follows so let's take responsibility point to your chest and say one two three i'm the ceo one two three I'm the CEO. here's what a ceo is 
CEO of your life. You're the top executive responsible for overall operations and performance. Okay? Operations and performance. You the boss. The book stops with you. The book stops with me. Operations, this is what we do. Performance, this is our results. You work with the hands you're dealt with. Does that make sense? I'm the CEO, you're the CEO. Now, what does a CEO do? Well, they're the person solely responsible for success or failure. There's great power in that. There's great power in that. Now, I don't control the planet. I don't control the earth. In fact, I don't control much. You know, I have a home with a wife and six children, and I don't control much of that either, it turns out. (laughs) But I am solely responsible for this right here. I can't be responsible for Beverly's happiness or the kid's happiness. I cannot. I am solely responsible for my own. What I found is the happier dad is, everyone seems to do better. Does that make sense? Solely responsible. Okay? We made a commitment years ago. I'll be better for you, you'll be better for me. And it seems to work. So here's the five things that you need to do as a CEO. This is for your life, and also this is for your business. So this will have multiple applications right now. This is your life, this is your business. These five things are the same. First, creates the vision. Creates the vision. Next, makes decisions. You're going to hear throughout this event, patterns, decisions, patterns, decisions, patterns, decisions. And we're going to give you a ton of fantastic insight and tools on both. You're going to hear about patterns and decisions. Next, keeps hope alive. We keep hope alive. We're not Byron Hatley. It's not the glass is half empty, not the world's coming to an end. Okay. Next, we influence others. I got some good stuff on that for you to help you be even more influential than you currently are. And then lastly, facilitates transformation. Facilitates transformation. Those are the five things. Let's dive right in. Creates the vision. We're going to talk about the Dufresne effect. And you'll find out what a fantastic leader Andy Dufresne is. First of all, he casts the vision. Casts the vision. It's like casting a net. Now, it's not a big old speech or a, you know, two hours of this and that. It's, it's you cast the vision in such a way. You've culminated on it. You've marinated on it. You've interacted with the vision to such a degree that ultimately, by the time you're able to communicate it, it's quick, simple, and everybody got it. And it's like casting a net. And if you do it right, there'll be a bunch of fish in there. Steve Jobs says, if you're working on something exciting you really care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you. I have an example of that in my own home. I have a girl, she's about to turn 25 next month. She started riding horses when she was 10 years old. Seven days a week, other than vacations, seven days a week, she's out the door at six o'clock in the morning. I went to see her riding yesterday morning. She has a big strap on her leg, got a groin injury. That night she was working out 12 o'clock at night in our gym in our home. Never once in 15 years has our mom and I ever knocked on her door and said, Annie, you need to get up. Never. And she's not like, oh man, the room is clean and this and that and the other and everything's perfect. No, no. <laughs> but in this one area, she has a vision. Last week, their Christmas gift, I, the kids are all into this gal, Ariana Grande. So I had my girls, their teammates, and Anna as chaperone. 
head up there, big limo bus, the whole thing, go to Ariana Grande, having a good time. They get in at 2.15 in the morning. And I should have known better, but at about 6.05, I crept upstairs. Maybe because I'd been thinking about sharing this at the event. And I knock on the door. I don't hear, and I go, oh, she's out. And I go in. It's pitch black. And I go, Anna, Anna. I was having a chat with a pillow. <laughs> she was gone. She was gone. And now you ever have millennials. Most of the folks that you're scratching your head about, they just don't have a vision. And when you have a vision, it pulls you. It doesn't have to be pushed. If you feel like you need to push yourself to get out of bed, you need to push yourself to do your work, you need to push yourself to get to the office, push yourself to do the things you need to push yourself to do the health stuff, okay? It's because as of yet, the vision isn't clear enough. And when it gets clear, it will pull you. How many of you would like to be pulled a little bit? Okay? I always push you in a rock up the hill. Next, it creates an emotional attachment to the vision. This is what leaders do. You create an emotional attachment to the vision. A genuine leader is not a searcher for consensus, but a molder of consensus because they have that vision. And then lastly, outlines how-tos. This is key. If you've been with me a short period of time, when I first started teaching goal setting, people go, well, how, how, how? How am I going to pay for this? How am I going to do this? I don't know how to do this. What am I going to do? And that's normally the barrier to initially starting goals. How many of you were there? Could I see your hands? Understand as a leader, when you cast the vision, you then create the emotional attachment to it. It better have some how-tos. Because the people that you're influencing, their first concern is, how do I do that? Is this making sense at all? Now, watch this. It doesn't have to be an hour-long State of the Union address or some giant locker room speech. I'm going to show you in a minute and 27 seconds one of the greatest vision-casting exercises I've ever seen from a leader. Now, it also tells you he's delivering this vision statement on the day that was probably the second worst day of his life. He's just found out that he knows he's in jail for a crime he didn't commit, and the person who could help free him, that the evidence, they just got rid of him. And so his hope for that freedom is gone. And in the midst of one of his worst days in his entire life, he casts the vision for his friend. This is also very important as leaders that we understand we don't have to be full of vim and vinegar every single day to bring people on the journey with us. Does that make sense? Now watch this. Watch how... He casts the vision. Watch how he creates an emotional attachment to it. They're in prison. He goes, hey, I want to go to this place in, in Mexico. You know what they say about the Pacific? They say it has no memory. I want to go to a warm place that has no memory. Then he gives details. I want to buy some old hotel, buy an old fishing boat, fix it up new. Can you see the picture? Take my guests out. Sports fishing. It's a brilliant communication. We all need a vision like this for our own life, and we need to make sure that we have it for those we lead and influence. Vision, emotional attachment, details, bought in. Now, we're going to get into the next part of being a great CEO of your life and ultimately your business, and it's the second. So I'm going to say this, and you'll never hear this. Right after casting a vision, and you can go to 100 leadership seminars, and they'll never get into this. The second most important thing to me in looking at leadership and studying leadership for the last 33 years is how decisions are made. Leaders are required to make decisions all the time, and how decisions are made is often a major problem. And so we're going to cover some decision pitfalls. 
we're going to cover some decision pitfalls. We asked you to take a look at the book, The Power of Moments. Did any of you get a chance to take a peek at that? But the Heath brothers, Chip and Dan, they also wrote a book called Decisive. Fantastic book on how to make better choices in life and work. And I'm going to walk you through some of the pieces of this because I think it'll help you right away. You're going to find out throughout this event, it's going to be patterns from your past, patterns that you can bring into the future, and then decisions along with that. That's what will run through this entire event. Next, we rarely consider more than two options when making a decision. That's one of the things the Heath brothers found in their studies. 69% had two or less options, had less favorable results. When people had two or more options, they had much more favorable results. So almost 70% of the time, people only had two options. Okay, so mostly do we only consider two options. It's left or right, black or white, up or down. Let me say this to you. That is the opposite to my process. Now, I'll tell you the benefit of my process and I'll tell you the downside and what I've learned. I run down every possible rabbit trail there is. I run down every rabbit trail there is. It's one of the reasons why I'm able to create content and he was just talking to me. Whether it's 500 people or 5,000 people, he was just talking to me. And the reason is I run down the rabbit trails of all the different people I'm talking to. I do that in my business. I run down all the rabbit trails. Now, what I had to learn as a leader is I'm a synergistic person, so I would synergize a rabbit trail with somebody who thought it was a definitive decision. And then when I came back, they were sideways. Or doing, I'm like, what are you doing? Well, you said, no, I was just talking. Are you guys with me? So I've had to learn to be very careful. And Dermot and I are both synergistic. So what happens is a lot of the executives of Buffini Company have figured out, like you've ever heard of brainstorming? They don't call it brainstorming at Buffini Company. They call it mind bashing. And they will literally leave Dermot and I in the room. And it's like there's roaring and carrying on. It sounds like there's a fight going on. And then what will happen is one of the assistants will be brave enough because it's lunchtime and one of them will peek their nose in and we're having a great old time. And they're like thinking there's a brawl going on. We're synergizing. It's safe to synergize with one another. Very important if you're a synergistic person to find somebody you're safe to synergize with. Okay? So the dynamic, you run down the rabbit trails, you don't just have two options. Next. We're blinded by short-term Emotion, so we have to distance ourselves from that. Short-term emotion. If you think of decisions you've regretted, it's usually it was a short-term and it was an impulse decision. Now, I'm going to say that, listen, you can make quick decisions if you've gone through all the ramifications. So you can run down a bunch of rabbit trails. If this, if this, if this, what if, what if, what if, why that, why that, why that. You go do it. You do a little research, do a little homework, blah, 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 blah. And then a situation comes, bang. You make a quick decision. I make very quick decisions. My kids think I'm just off the cuff. They don't know I'm whirring all the time in the background. Does that make sense? Short-term decisions. Short-term decisions that haven't been thought through are poor decisions. Short-term decisions based on emotion are always bad decisions. Now, listen, there's big decisions always have emotion to them. It's just the difference between being emotional and making a good decision and being emotionalistic and making a bad decision. If that makes sense, say I. That's the difference. Understand, if it's a big decision, if you don't have emotion about a decision, it's not a big decision. It's lunch. Now, for some of you, that's a very emotional decision, but that's a different conversation. If you're making a decision and it's as easy as lunch, it's not a big decision. So you're always going to be nervous and scared and apprehensive about the big decisions. But we don't want to be emotionalistic. Everybody with me on that? 
All right. We have a false sense of certainty. False sense of certainty. Well, you know, we lead our clients and we have to be definitive and so on and so forth. So we're good and we're salespeople. So we're very good. And we believe our own stuff. We're very good. There used to be a little record kept of all the best excuses the coaches had heard over the years. And I'll tell you, you, you are talented, talented people. I mean, creative, like Picasso's. When we get into trouble making decisions is because it's black or white and that's all there is and we convince ourselves of it. It's called confirmation bias. And confirmation bias says students were wrong 27% of the time when the answer they gave they were absolutely certain of. They were wrong 27% of the time. 40% of doctors were wrong when they were sure of the diagnosis they gave. 40%. That's why we get a what? Or third or fourth. They are practicing medicine. And sometimes they see something and they decide something and that's what it is because it reminds them of something from before. If you look at coaches, one of the reasons why more than 50% of NFL and NBA drafts fail is because when they see a player, they go, that reminds me of so-and-so and it's confirmation bias. If you look at the top players right now in the NBA playoffs, Kawhi Leonard played here in San Diego State. He was drafted 16th. There were 15 better players than him apparently that year. Of the 15 players that were drafted ahead of them, nine of them don't even play in the league anymore. Giannis Unpronounceable in Milwaukee was this 15th draft pick. Apparently there were 14 guys that were better than a 6'11 guy that can jump 45 inches in the air. And a sweetheart of a kid who works hard all the time. Okay? He was only drafted five years ago. Half the people picked ahead of him are gone. Steph Curry was the seventh best pick in the draft. He's too small. He's too light. He can't get it done. He's got bad ankles. Tell that to anyone he's just played. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's called confirmation bias. People have it about us and we have it about other things as well. I want confirmation. I don't want bias in my decision making. Make sense? So we want to make what's called informed decisions. Informed decisions. Next, we want to widen our options. One of the reasons why we don't do this is we're tired. We've got a lot going on. Some of you came here and you're overwhelmed. Some of you, I'm way at peak experience because I'm three days away from the office and people think I'm here at a conference. By the way, do you know they have slides outside? So I may not be coming back this afternoon. (laughs) They have a spa and a slide. That sounds like a great conference. So what we want to do is create some distance. We want to chew it over. Here's the key. Not everything's a life and death decision. What we have to do is prioritize our decisions. You're going to get a chance to write out the list of decisions that you're facing, and then you put your time and effort into the biggest priorities. It gets back to A, B, C, D in your database. A, B, C, D, your choices. I know this. More than half the people I've ever talked to in my life of speaking and training have spent more time thinking about lunch than they have about their financial futures. I know that for a fact. Because it's difficult to think about your financial future. It's difficult when you're facing problems or you're in debt. And is that really shrimp? Mmm. I hear the fish is great out in California. We can't do all of the different rigmaroles and all the things. That's why Beverly knows this. Beverly knows this. If she comes to me, and Beverly is a person who she goes back and forth, back and forth, and she questions her decisions all the time. And I couldn't be any more the opposite. Here's how it goes. If it's a small decision, when Beverly comes to me, she knows. She gets her list, and she loves it. 
da 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 yep, no, nope, yep, start, yep, go, yep, bye. Why are we even talking about that one? Then, what about this? Well, that requires a couple of walks on the beach for you and me. And I got to do some homework. So let me get back to you on that one. Are you guys with me? I just gave you, I mean, that is more than you will learn in five years of business school at Harvard. No matter how much your mother paid for you to get in there, I'm telling you, <laughs> what I just gave you is more valuable. Never make permanent decisions on temporary feelings. Never make permanent decisions on temporary feelings. This will all become very, very clear to you over the course of three days. Some of you are facing decisions, and right now you don't even think you are. You're like, I don't know what he's talking about. Maybe I need to get some things to decide on. <laughs> You're going to have some. It'll be very clear to you. What we do is we're so busy surviving our life to make great decisions. We have to analyze our patterns, understand what goes into the patterns of the past, make the modifications necessary, make informed decisions, and then five, four, three, two, one, go. Does that make sense? Next, test your assumptions. Test your assumptions. There's a famous scene, the most famous scene in the movie, the most famous line in the movie, Shawshank Redemption, is... Andy, after his scene, he's cast his vision. He stands up. Right before he stands up, he decides this is where it's go time. Right? So he's sitting down. He's casting the vision for his friend. And in that yard, that's his defining moment. That's his moment where he goes, he decided. And you know he decided because he said a very famous phrase. Can you remember what it was? Get busy living or get busy and then he gets up and he actually moves. When he makes a statement, those words cause him to stand. A decision will cause movement. It'll cause movement in the head, the heart, the feet, the body. Once you decide, you go. It's very powerful. Now, here's what's important. He's communicating this under big-time stress. He's communicating this when things are going haywire for him. He couldn't have had a worse day. He had been thinking through and planning through this for 19 years. He had a plan in place. He had the paperwork in place. He had the money in place. He had everything in place. And then he makes the decision. And the decision is still made with emotion. But don't view for a second this as an emotionalistic decision. He didn't just say, to hell with it. I'm going to start digging a tunnel. Are you guys hearing me? He was, this is scary to make this move. I'm going to go. Some of you have had to make that decision in your life in a relationship. And it took a hell of a lot. And tremendously scary decisions. Understand. Get busy living. Get busy dying. Here's an example of decisive, thought through, go. When you've done your homework, trust me when I tell you, the choice is simple. The emotions that go with it are not. Are you guys with me? So that's the first thing. We cast a vision. Create that vision. Second thing. We make those good, informed decisions. Third thing, as CEO of our life and CEO of our business, we keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. How did Andy do it? With a picture. How did he get through the terrible nights? How did he get through the discomfort? How did he get through the sometimes terror he was living under? He had a picture in his mind of this right here. Zay Wantaneo. On the beach, with a little boat, with someone he loved. A lifelong friend. Powerful stuff. How do you keep hope alive? Sometimes when you cast a vision, not everybody's on board. Is red fearful, yes or no? 
is he also in the same place as Brooks Hadlin, who took his own life? He doesn't want change. This is his best friend. And by the way, if you leave, if you move, I'm stuck here. Understand this. As leaders, when you go, you can't expect consensus. He goes to Red and he casts his vision. He's very transparent. He opens up his soul and says, here's what I want to do. And what does he do? Bang! He gets resistance. Of course you're going to get... What do we want everybody to go... You have a team meeting, we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And they're all like, yes, I see the light. And it's like Belushi in the Blues Brothers. And here's what I found with my speeches to my team. And you're like, oh, it must be amazing to be in Brian's company. I say something, they're like, oh, God, here he goes. This is going to hurt. Who's going to pay for that? How long is that going to take? I'm not going to do it. You're going to do it? That's just when I'm warming up, that's like, <clears throat> that's where they go. By the way, it's the same in your family, same in your life. That's why leaders don't lead by consensus. Now, it's not, it's my way or the highway. Or when you go somewhere, you'll turn around and no one will be behind you. There won't be anybody to influence. We're casting the vision. We're working it through. We're getting people on board. We're communicating, articulating, so on and so forth. But when it gets down to making decisions, not everybody's going to love it. And you, sometimes you'll meet with opposition. And oh, by the way, the person who's opposing you, many times they want it every bit as bad as you do but they're just what? They're just afraid. So that's why the greater the opposition, and it's the difference between a cynic and someone who's skeptical. See, when I teach, do you think I've ever met a cynic? Do you think I've ever gotten letters from cynics? Some pretty harsh letters I've received over the years. I'm okay with skeptics. I have no time for cynics. Zero. A cynic believes nothing's going to change and motives are bad. A skeptic is, I'm not sure. I need to see that you're the real deal. I want to make sure you're not BSing. I want to make sure this is the real deal, and I'm all good with that. Because that's somebody who's saying, I really want to trust, but I don't want to throw my trust away too quickly. I'm all for that. Does that make sense? All for that. Very powerful. So Red gives him the business, and he says to him, this is a crappy pipe dream. How does Andy Dufresne crawl to freedom? Through a crappy pipe. Is that right? By the way, the way to freedom to someone else is always that. What's the opposite of a crappy pipe dream? A pipe dream. A pipe dream. Do you know what a definition of a pipe dream is? It's unattainable or fanciful hope or scheme. It's something that's unattainable. Pipe dreams are for fools. Pipe dreams are for people who have no interest in achieving or doing anything. Pipe dreams are just talk. The road to hell is paved with good intentions and lots of pipe dreams. I'm going to say something to you that's going to sound as strange as I've ever said in my life. The only pipe dream worth having is a crappy pipe dream. Because it requires work, graft, sacrifice, change. That's the only time anything good happens. People come to me all the time, Brian, I want to do what you do. You've impacted so many. I just want to do what you do. Okay. You want to know what it looks like? How many of you ever met me in a crappy hotel somewhere? Could I see your hands? How many think it might have been a little crappy to spend 179 nights a year away from your family when you had six young kids? You follow me? I just want to do what you do. 
you better be possessed by something. You better be possessed by something. And if it's something all about you and something about making a buck, you will be consumed by that something. Number two, there's 20 years of digging. Now, technically it was 19, but the reason I like 20 is this. There's 20 years of digging. That's like a career. 20 years of digging. When you do the right things, when you grind and when you grind and when you do it, here's what happens. This is the expression that people have when they see your success. It looks just like this. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? What the hell is that? I had a young man come up to me last year. He says, how do I get a jet? Okay, that wouldn't be the first question I'd ask me. But why do you want a jet? No, 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 no. Okay, all right, here you go. How much did you make last year? 52 grand. Okay, good, good, good. That's good. You need to make about three times that to pay for one of the pilots. And you need two. What was he really asking me? How do I be successful? I shared with him this revolutionary concept. Calls Nelson Popeyes. Because that's how you get a jet. Because that's how you transform your life. That's how you change your business. Calls on some Popeyes. Oh, there's really radical changes coming to real estate business. Radical, radical changes. Guess what? This is like the kryptonite for the market that's coming. The next thing is you have to have some of the tools for the trade. So Andy had a rock hammer. Some of the tools for the trade. What are the tools of the trade to help you transform your business and life? Does anybody have an idea? You need the tools for the trade. We're going to have some very exciting reorganization of our events next year. And one of the things that's going to come down is we're going to start really teaching the next level on how to really do this stuff. And it's going to be more of a master class. And I'm going to take you into my actual world on how I actually do notes and how I actually do calls and how I actually go through the process. Here's the deal. I make no bones. I've been doing something for 33 years. You do something for 33 years with the intensity, with all of what's at stake, you get to be pretty good. Show me someone skilled in their labor, they'll serve before kings. When you watch someone who's a master at something, it just makes you want to be better at it yourself. Does that make sense? So that's what we're going to do in 2020. Understand, we've already had you on the journey. You know, Buffini Company, we're having record sales. Record sales. We have more people coming to us than ever before. But you know what I'm noticing? More people than ever before. They start digging, and then they go, what else is there? More than ever before. You've tried to influence people. And they stuck their toe in the water and they did it for a couple of months and then they bolted out the door because they wanted a magic pill. They wanted the jet delivered. This looks like a lot of work. This looks like Andy Dufresne took one handful of dirt out into the yard every day and sprinkled it in the yard. That is not how the market defines success. But in every area of life, that is how success is built. One handful at a time. And you've got to keep persevering. You follow? So now you know. You're going to have a crappy pipe dream when you leave. And then you have a rock hammer. And I like to think we have a pneumatic rock hammer, Buffini Company, and more coming, more coming. We have some things we're working on that will literally blow your freaking mind. Number four, influences others. This is why I'm excited to talk to this group. I am so pumped to have so many new faces here and so many people who are coming to something new. It's just spectacular.
this is how much I value who's in this room and what's gone into this. And if you knew what went into this, you'd be shocked. And it's done because the power of this is in its influence. That's why this happens. You know what I mean? There's a lot of other things we could be doing or they'd have me doing for Buffini Company that would be far more highly leveraged. I go build a training program, it's worth tens of millions of dollars to the company. Does that make sense? But I'm pouring this into you guys because you have the stuff to do it. You know, red was worth the trouble. You know, they say, is the juice worth the squeeze? No question. I know what's in front of me here. So this next piece here is very important, influencing others. You do. I just want to help you do it intentionally, on purpose, more powerfully. How many of you like that idea? Here it is. And we're going to do a lot of Shawshanking right here together. First, we're going to talk about challenging the status quo. Leaders always challenge the status quo. Now, here's an important thing. Managers keep the status quo. Leaders challenge the status quo. You need both. I've had people at the Feeney Company that on occasion we promoted from a manager to being a leader, and it was a bad fit for everybody because they became a leader and they immediately wanted to keep things the way they are. Not just change for change's sake, but you have to challenge the status quo. For example, when Buffini and Company went into the recession, we had grown by no less than 49% a year for 10 consecutive years. You start doing mathematics and compounding, it's shocking. A company grows by 40%, its current infrastructure is shot. We were doing more than that every single year, blowing out our entire systems every single year. And we'd get two and three years ahead of it, didn't matter. By the time the recession hit, I started to ask the questions. Just before it happened, I go, where are our customers coming from? Where is this all going? Everyone around me is throwing parties and getting bonuses. In fact, the day we walked into our new headquarters, it was this 97,000 feet over the flower fields. Anybody ever visit that facility? Gorgeous facility, ocean views. And the day we walked into it was one of the unhappiest days of my working career. Because something didn't sit with me. And what was in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm just wondering how solid a foundation we're actually built on or have we just been riding a rocket and I had to learn that lesson the hard way not to listen to that gut and not to question not to question why are things working why are the clients coming from what happened if there was a change in the market what should we do differently I didn't do that so eventually after selling 40 million dollars worth of real estate in a recession and writing personal checks every single month of a million dollars to keep the company open I learned to ask the question, why? So now I get to give it to you. It's just part of the talk. You with me? As a leader, you need to challenge your status quo. How many of you haven't, you've had a real good period of time the last couple of years in your business? Great. Is it just the market? Is it the rates? Is it the shortage of inventory? Is it possible those are contributing factors, yes or no? Great. We need to ask the questions, why? Why do we do the things we do? When you ask the question at Buffini Company, and I do all the time, why do we do the things we do? My least favorite answer, and even if they think it, they don't say it, because that's how we've always done it. Now, there's a couple of brave souls are brave enough to kind of that out and wait, because they know I will be... We're doing it because we've always done it is never a good answer for me. It's never a good answer for anybody. Andy Dufresne challenges the status quo. Here's the status quo. They're in prison. Homeostasis. Everybody's stuck. Everybody's fearful. Everybody's trying to survive. Andy's filled with hope. He ends up being put in solitary confinement because he plays classical music. You remember that? 
and he comes out and he meets the lads for lunch. Now, solitary confinement is brutalizing. He comes out, he's got a smile on his face. Like, how did two weeks in the hole go? He goes, easiest time I've ever done. They're like, BS. He goes, oh no, I had company there. I had Mr. Mozart with me. I, it was the easiest time I ever did. Haven't you ever felt like that? Red, of course, he's the spokesperson for being stuck. Oh, I used to play a mean harmonica as I was a young man, but it didn't seem to make any sense in here. And he goes, oh, this is where it makes the most sense. Haven't you ever felt like anything? He goes, what are you talking about? Hope. Positive is always going to meet with negative. You, we are shocked. Everyone's shocked. You might be 65 years of age, and you're shocked at still when you say something positive that you're met with negative. What? But I thought we were all just going to have big love fest. I said something positive. He says a powerful thing, hope. And the man goes, hey, you better knock that off. Not only is that a bad thought, then here's the even confirmed opinion. That kind of talk would drive a man insane. It has no use on the inside. Now Andy says, just like Brooks did, there's a guy who followed the game plan of the culture. There's a guy who just did what everyone else did. And he ends up taking his own life. You've made a commitment to a positive life. Why in the frost would you be here in Carlsbad this morning after paying more money to get here than your first commission? (laughs) Now, we're expecting acceptance wherever we go, but we have to understand that we're influencing everywhere we go. And here's the thing. I'm okay. I'm not even going to fight. See, here's the thing. When you're totally certain in who you are, it doesn't knock you off your spot. It doesn't send you aside. When you're really down the path and you're really comfortable in your own skin and you really are becoming who you're meant to be, it won't even knock you off your spot. When my wife meets negativity like that, you know what she does? She prays for the people. Beverly's loved because she's never been in an argument in her life. And that's why she has me. I'm like the pinch hitter. Confronter in chief. When Beverly gives people that positive encouragement, positive encouragement, they reach it with negativity, negativity, negativity. Here's the thing. And she never says a word. She never says a word. She's very global. You guys know that. We're on a plane flight here recently. And I read one book. I start and I finish. It's a whole new concept in my family. I start and I go to the end. Beverly starts seven books at the same time. So when she goes on a flight, there was a reason we had our own plane for 17 years. When we're on a commercial flight... It's like, I'm like the Sherpa coming by. Yes, ma'am, I'll be right there. <laughs> and so she gets up to go to the bathroom and it's like the library just falls apart. I'm putting the, and I'm picking up all these books and I see a book and this book has been dog-eared and there's a thousand notes in it and it's prayers to pray for your husband. <laughs> now, here, here's the thing. Initially I was like, and then I thought about it. And she's never said a word. She's never said a word. Never said a word. It's power. She's very certain who she is and what she is. Does that make sense? This next thing about being a great influencer is has a deep desire to serve. A deep desire to serve. Let me just say this. If you're not serving, it's self-serving. And if you really don't have a deep desire to serve, you're not a leader. You're a taker. Maybe you have the position of being a leader, but you're a taker. 
It's a deep desire to serve. I'm going to show you one of the greatest examples of this I've ever seen. Now, by the way, if you go and test me on this, go look up the dictionary and try to find a definition of serve. You'll really struggle with it. Apparently, Webster really struggled with it. He uses the word to describe the word. And we use this word all the time, but very few people truly know. Because let me tell you, a deep desire to serve is an attitude of the heart. And you're about to see one of the greatest examples of it. Andy Dufresne and his buddies are on top of a roof mopping. Do you guys know the scene? Here's what happens. He's mopping with his buddies and he hears out of the corner of his ear, like we are in a restaurant, we hear somebody mention real estate. We're like meerkats, right? He hears Byron Hadley's inheriting money and of course Byron's negative nanny and Andy goes over to talk to him. Now, this is like us as a realtor going on a really hostile listing appointment. He gets in his face. He challenges the price. He challenges the information. And he sticks to his ground. And at the end, gets his commission. Asks for 3% in the form of three bottles of beer. And then, as funny as that is, because it's really what it looks like in real estate, then watch how it gets to the end. And you will see the greatest example of true leadership you've ever seen in your life you'll see that Andy doesn't need the spoils of leadership. He doesn't need the rewards of leadership. Listen, he doesn't need the praise of leadership. He neither needs the praise or the money or the acknowledgement. He sits there with a quiet joy, even in the midst of a terrible circumstance, because he has such a deep commitment to serve. And it is the greatest expression of leadership I have ever seen in any movie. As a leader... I spent many years making sure I got a lot of credit. As a leader, I spent many years making sure I was right. And people knew I was right. As a leader, I spent many years of my career making sure I was focused on getting my three beers. You follow me? And as I've grown as a man and as a leader, I have truly learned a level of satisfaction and pleasure that I never knew possible in both leading my family and leading my company. And I'm standing there before you as a very intense personal growth guy telling you how much I have and continue to work on this very thing. I have learned to be able to receive a compliment and not need a compliment. That's, I would say, the last 25 years. I can receive a compliment and not need a compliment. I used to need a compliment, and when they came, I couldn't receive it. Does that make sense? There's hope for us all. If I can do it, honest to God, I say every morning, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know, God's done a great work in my life and continues to do it, but if he can use me. Now, the hope is, you know, I was telling this with the kids one time when we were having a conversation, and I unadvertently blurted out this story in the Bible where God spoke through a donkey. And right as I was telling them, I'm going, you know, I'm a jackass a lot. If he can use a guy like me, he can use a guy and a guy like you. The last part about influence on others is you can leave a lasting legacy. And there's a lot of talk about legacy, but it's legacy is a life well lived in the life of the people, in the life of the people you know. Andy Dufresne changed people's lives. And oh, by the way, here it is. Here it is. You ready? You ready? You ready? He did it through writing personal notes. (laughs) It just doesn't get any better. My life is so good. My life is so good. He did it through writing notes. 
Did you know the cooks of the movies all about writing notes? Do you know that he wrote a note to Red to get him free? Does that make sense? And he wrote him a note to tell him how to get across the border. And he wrote personal notes. And here's what he did. He wrote faithfully personal notes. I have people after 90 days, ah, this just isn't working. It's just not working. Where is this A1-T-N-A-Y-O? I bet you didn't realize when you were watching that movie how great a leader that guy was. And let me show you how great a leader he is because at the end of the day, the only way you know you're a leader is the impact you have on those you're leading and those you're influencing. And there's what we call the red effect. And the red effect is in place, first of all, for ourselves, but then ultimately for anybody we're trying to lead. First of all, we have to understand that all the objections, all the negativity, all the feedback, all the pushback, everything we get, maybe it's your grown and your spouse or family member, partner, whatever is pushing back on you. The thing is, all it's bringing up is they're living in fear. If you were living in fear and you got over it, you don't come back and beat somebody up because, oh, you're fearful. Well, you should know that. It takes one to know one. Living in fear. When we're fearful, we stay put. When we're fearful, we stay put. Dale Carnegie wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People. He's from New England, where Stephen King is from. I happen to believe when Carnegie wrote this in the 1920s, somehow Stephen King got a hold of this quote, and it's the quote that influenced part of the book. It says, if you want to conquer fear, don't sit at home and think about it. Go out and get busy. Get busy living, get busy dying. He's resigned to his circumstances. Red is resigned to his circumstances. It's amazing. I have a conversation with young people these days. And because of this stuff that's on the social media and because of this stuff that's online, they are so certain in their wrongheadedness now. I'm talking to young people who are like, this is the only way. And they're like, in a box, this is it, this is it, this is it, this is it. They're not taught and asked to think from a different spot. Henry David Thoreau is a quote factory. He said this, what is called resignation is really confirmed desperation. When people are resigned to their circumstances... Here's the ultimate thing about the red effect, and here's why the Shawshank, although not Willy Wonka or the Wizard of Oz, it too has a happy ending. And the reason it has a happy ending is because of this. Transformation is possible. Now, by the way, you cannot control it in anybody but yourself. I'm going to say this again. You cannot control it in anybody but yourself. You can influence it, but you can't control it. Does everybody understand the difference, yes or no? You can influence people towards transformation. You cannot control it in somebody else. You can't control it in your kids. You can't control it in your spouse. You can't control it in your clients. You can't control it in your staff. You can't control it in anybody you come in contact with. You can influence it. Finally, the penny drops. Red is exactly in the same bedroom where Brooks Hadlin ended his life, where he basically said, there is no hope. And Red goes on a soliloquy to communicate what goes on for all of us when we're stuck. He says... It's a terrible thing to live in fear. Brooks Hadlin knew it, knew it all too well. I just want to go back where things make sense, where I don't have to be afraid all the time. But there's one thing that keeps me going. It's a promise, a promise I made to Andy. And he buys himself a bus ticket to Fort Hancock, Texas, and then goes across the Mexican border. And the last scene in that movie is Red looking out the window And he says the words that have been buried deep, deep, deep down inside him for decades. He said, oh man, I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. And then he says, I hope the Pacific is as blue as it's been in my dreams.
I hope, I hope. That vision was deep in his heart and deep in his mind, and he had dreamed about it many times. It was the desire of his heart. Change is possible. Transformation is possible, first for us and then for others. But we have to hold that all with an open hand. Wow. Transformation is possible. You can change yourself. You cannot change anyone else, but you can sow the seeds of hope like Andy did for Red. This was part one of CEO Your Life. If you want to hear part two, we have it available for our Buffini insiders. If you're not yet an insider, head over to the com slash insiders to get access to this and other great resources. Before I let you go, I want to give a shout out to Olga Akinen for her review on iTunes. Olga says, I grew up as a daughter of a realtor. That turned into a family business, and now my husband is a realtor as well. He was introduced to Buffini and Company, and it changed the way we do business. And even though I'm, quote, only a stay-at-home mom and wife of a realtor, I love the podcast. It's full of real-life principles and so much business goodness. I just attended my first event with my husband in Richmond, Virginia, and it exceeded my expectations. So amazing to be there in that environment. Thanks so much for your wonderful review, Olga. And with that, I'll leave you all with an Irish blessing from Brian's mum, Therese. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. (laughs) 